0: When you were hospitalized, Katie, did you go in reluctantly? Were you angry or were you relieved?
1: I was relieved deep down. I was very, very relieved. But on the outside, I remember kind of keeping a straight face and being numb, not feeling any emotions. But feeling this kind of warmth inside was extremely comforting because I finally felt like. Someone was going to take care of yeah. me. I finally felt like I wasn't alone and that I was understood.
0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for ballerinas, adult ballerinas, parents of ballerinas and everyone in between. I'm your host, Georgia Canning, also known as The Balance Ballerina and it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet. Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. Today's guest is Katie Angela, also known as ED Recovery Girl on Instagram. Katie has been a long time listener of the podcast, and when she reached out, I knew we had to collaborate. I really just wanted to share her journey and spark discussion around eating disorders within the dance world, specifically ballet. Look, I'm not going to lie, this is an incredibly hard conversation to navigate which is why I probably haven't until now. Not only am I hyper aware of presenting information in a factual and informative way through this podcast, but I'm also really aware of the young and impressionable part of the Balanced Ballerina's audience. However, today's topic, it's a really important one and it's very close to my heart. So it's really difficult for me, as you'll hear, to not be a bit angry, I guess, and passionate about the topic. I've momentarily discussed this in passing with other guests on the podcast, but one of the reasons I gave up life as a professional ballet dancer was because I had an eating disorder. If I'm honest, I've only been able to say that out loud in the last couple of years. It's even harder to say out loud the fact that my eating disorder was only really developed because of the incessant and constant remarks about my body from certain ballet teachers whom I idolised growing up. Every ballet student idolises their ballet teacher and when I step into the studio, I'm hypersensitive and aware of the words and actions I exhibit myself as a ballet teacher amongst impressionable young women. Unfortunately though, others are not. Many within my profession will say and argue that the eating disorder topic is a load of rubbish, that it needs to be put to bed, and that it's not as prevalent today. But I'm in this industry, and especially through the podcast, I've witnessed and heard many comments that are made when the mics turn off that suggest otherwise. During my conversation with Katie, we often refer to pre-professional or finishing schools as the main culprit for this breeding ground of negligence between a young woman and those that are supposed to be responsible for shaping them into a confident and strong dancer. Not all pre-professional schools are like this. Not all ballet teachers are like this. Not all ballet dancers feel this way. I don't act like I have all the answers and Katie certainly doesn't either. This conversation is simply two young women sharing very similar thoughts and feelings, despite being on other sides of the world. This alone tells me that we're not the only ones feeling this way, and therefore the discussion needs to be had to spark change and inspire healthier relationships with our bodies. I'd really like to thank Katie for being so honest and so brave. I love that she still participates in casual ballet classes while studying a Bachelor of Business at university, and I really wish her all the best in her recovery, her journey, her business, and most importantly, her happiness. But before we go any further, if this conversation triggers any harmful thoughts or feelings, please call the Butterfly Foundation for Eating Disorders hotline on 1-800-334-673. Or if you're in Canada, where Katie is from, you can call the National Eating Disorder Information Centre on 186 66 334 Enjoy my conversation with Katie. So I've wanted to have this kind of chat for a long time now, so I'm really glad that you reached out because I, I do feel like you're the perfect person to have this discussion with, like people who are attached or have built brands within the ballet world or operate within like really large institutions are really reluctant to talk about eating disorders Mm -hmm. within the dance world and the expectations on young maturing bodies to be a certain physique. And that's why I think the discussion kind of needs to happen at the student level, at, at the ground level, like what we're experiencing or experienced and how, you know, that shaped hurt or changed us. And like, what really confuses me is that I see so much pressure on finishing schools, like meaning pre-professional schools to be way thin. And then in a company or a professional setting, there are so many varying body types, like within reason, obviously, but they are certainly more, in my opinion, more mature, athletic and able bodies. And so I'm unsure about what the solution is. <laughs> I'm professing this conversation with, I'm often unsure about where my feelings lay, but I feel like this needs to be discussed because ballet is probably the only sport or art where you're expected to perform like an athlete and look like a supermodel. So, there's yes. my tangent, Katie. <laughs> what, you know, do you do you have similar feelings?
1: I really do, honestly, and I totally agree with what you have to say for the pre-professional level being very strict with body types and when we compare that to professional companies and adult dancers, there is more diversity. There are more muscular bodies. And that's something that needs to be addressed as well. Uh, Not only are younger students more vulnerable to developing eating disorders, but it's also kind of going to affect how their body is going to work in the future. Um, So, You know, there's not really a solution that I've come up with, but I do have a really strong experience being a student who dealt with an eating disorder and who has something to say about it. Um, So, definitely the conversation needs to be there, and maybe it's something with the mindset that we still have, or maybe. Um, it's something around the stigma of even starting to talk about eating disorders in the industry, but there are some changes that need to be made in my opinion. Definitely. That's why I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to because you, um, really
0: express yourself quite eloquently in this very incredibly difficult field and topic to, you know, tap dance around for what, for want of a better word, (laughs) I should have come up with a, uh, (laughs) with a um, ballet analogy, but yeah, I, um, I'm just really curious, I guess. And the point of our discussion today is to just really chat from our own opinion and our own experiences in this space. And I think it's great that I'm in Australia and you're all the way in Canada and Mm -hmm. we can have this discussion and completely, I find it fascinating that we I'm not surprised, though, that we can have this conversation and completely be on the same wavelength and understand exactly what each other is feeling. I mean, just talk me through your experience. So let's have like a little snapshot of of you
1: growing up as a young pre-professional ballerina. Okay, so I moved away from home. I grew up in a small town and I moved to a bigger city at the age of 12 and a half or 13 to become, I guess, a professional dancer. I had made my mind that that's what I wanted to do as a career. And in order to do that, I had to have the best training available. So I moved away and I lived in a dorm and I also did my school, my academic studies at the same time. So I would do classes Um, you know, math, science, all the subjects in school in the morning, and then I would dance from noon until 6 or 7 p.m. So I had a very strong uh, training background starting at age 13. And so as a ballet student, I was growing up, you know, my body was obviously very athletic as a young girl, Um, And so when I turned 14 in my second year at this school, um, I started getting remarks from teachers that maybe my body had changed or maybe my thighs were a little bit too muscular. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yeah, I mean, I know that it's something that's quite common to to hear remarks from teachers or, or friends or peers that, or centered around the body. Um, And as a young girl, I really didn't do much about it. I just kind of let it go. And I never really thought of changing up my diet or training a little bit harder. It was kind of just, to me, a remark that I forgot about when I got home. And the thing is that the first remarks were okay. I let them go very easily. But what was the problem for me and what really began my relationship with my body that was negative is the repetition, the repetition of the comments, the repetition of um, telling me that, you know, I had to really, really like suck in my abs because I had a belly (laughs) or maybe the teachers would start telling us to eat less and the repetition is what made it a problem. Yeah. So I began to kind of look at myself in the mirror differently and see a lot of flaws. And then I felt a lot of pressure to change. And I felt the pressure to change not only to lose weight, but I I felt like I had to do it quite fast. Like I had to do it in a very rapid manner because I wanted to please my teachers so badly. I wanted to get their roles so badly it was kind of like a desperation that I had at that point
0: and that's that's why this discussion is so important because I think that a lot of teachers whilst you like I mean as a ballet teacher myself I'm very aware of the power that my words have within the studio and I feel mm -hmm. like if I'm honest there are a lot of dance teachers at that elite level who do not comprehend the amount of weight behind their words when they're talking to the young students. And I completely agree with you. Just listening to your story, I'm sitting here nodding along. It's almost identical to mine. And it's that it's hard mm-hmm. to explain, isn't it, to someone who's not in the ballet world that that repetition and oh well, you know, and people go, oh well you should just not care. And it's like, well, no, you have no idea. Like a, a young ballet dancer, their teacher is mm-hmm. God to them. They will do yes. anything to please yes. that person.
1: Absolutely, because you feel like they know the key to success and you have to listen to every word that they say to get where you want to be as a dancer, as a professional. And an example that I have for that, um, before auditions were coming around or different kind of castings, they would always say, make sure that you're ready to fit in the costumes because the costumes (laughs) get larger for you to fit in them so they would always tell us make sure you're ready to fit in the costumes and that is like very easy to read between the lines to to know that you kind of have to lose weight for the roles and it's it's things like that that really hurt me a lot as a young girl it's the repetition of those things too so yeah and like i said it, it is really difficult to actually
0: explain this to someone who's not in the ballet world because a, a teacher flippantly saying Oh, make sure you can fit into your costumes. Like, yes, they're technically not telling you to lose weight. They're technically not telling you that you're fat. But what they're doing is it's like a it's a
1: psychological game, don't you think? Mm, absolutely. And it's it's dangerous because that can affect you in your regular life as well. Um, you know, you're gonna maybe develop the fear of abandonment, the fear of disappointing other people, and you're just gonna become a people pleaser. And that's kind of what I dealt with um, as a strong perfectionist as well. Like it's just when you're so young, you're so vulnerable and you can really take that information and program it into your brain and it'll develop patterns into your future. So it's, it's, it's important to try to raise awareness and to realize that it is a problem and comments that are not always direct can even be worse at times. Definitely, you know what. What makes me so angry is that,
0: and I, I do get really angry and quite passionate about this topic. And to be honest, um, Katie, I haven't really had an episode on the podcast that delves deep into this kind of conversation. So, mm-hmm. anyway, I'm just going to let it all rip today. But, <laughs> but mm-hmm. what, like, seriously, yeah. what makes me so angry is that. I look at photos of myself right from times when I was sitting in the director of like my ballet school's office being told that I you know had to start being careful about my body changing too much or Mm -hmm. that I was getting too muscular and far out I look at these photos of myself and I was tiny I was so Mm -hmm. thin I was thinner than any student that I currently teach and I just was so tiny and the fact that That these people were still telling me that I was a little bit too muscular, and oh, what you know, and the way that they phrase things, like you know, what Mm -hmm. exercise have you been doing differently lately that your thighs are starting to bulk up and and your chest area is developing? I'm a 15 year old. That's called boobs. Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm developing breasts. Like, there's not much you can do about that. And so, I just get really angry. And I get really frustrated by the language used on very vulnerable, you know, young women going through puberty.
1: And it's just not okay. Absolutely. And it also reinforces body dysmorphia and it kind of develops it at a young age. You know, when you're 16 and you are tiny, but you look at yourself in the mirror and you believe that you're flawed and that you need to lose weight. That's a huge problem. And that's a very deep cycle to get out of as well, because you can keep that on as an adult and never feel like you're good enough. So it's a super toxic thing that, you know, is, is starting as a root cause from, from just never being good enough, right? Like you're never going to be skinny enough. You're never going to be long enough. It's just to, you know, trying to make the difference between that. But as a student, maybe we weren't able to. Um, but that thought, process, isn't it? yeah, that thought process, yeah, and that thought process, like <laughs> it's, it's toxic. <laughs> um, and I, so for me, like, it, and I ended up in the hospital. So the more weight I lost, the more roles I would get casted for. And this is a direct link. It's not an assumption. It's a direct link with my body that was getting thinner. Um, and the more exhausted I would get because I was rehearsing long hours for roles that I did not have energy for because I wasn't nourishing myself. Um, and they, the doctors diagnosed me um, basically as a perfect case of an anorexic person. Um, I had all the criterias and Exactly at age 17, I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. So it's, it's an easy slope to go down. It goes very fast and sometimes you just can't catch yourself in it until you're in the hospital.
0: I feel like eating disorders are definitely still prevalent. And I find with eating disorders, especially within the dance industry, it's skipped over about how actually serious this is and how um, important it is to diagnose and heal from so for anyone that is listening like let's just define anorexia nervosa for example limited food intake avoiding or skipping meals preoccupied with food body shape weight or appearance really low self-esteem so like guilty self-criticism worthlessness um, saying that they've eaten food when they haven't vomiting um, or using appetite suppressants, avoiding situations that involve food, repetitive body checking, for example, weighing, looking in the mirror, rapid weight loss. I mean, I'm only halfway through the list. And, and that definition can apply to so many people that I I can think of growing up.
1: Mm, Because we've normalized. It it is completely normalized
0: within the dance world. And that's why I think people that think that there isn't a problem when there really is. And if we take it one step back, for example, I could have been probably self, I was never diagnosed, but I can self-diagnose myself when I was growing up as having bulimia nervosa and I was really fearful of gaining weight. Um, I would put on or lose weight really quickly. Um, I had a very distorted body image. Like I said before, I look at photos now of myself and I was so tiny and I thought I was humongous. Um, Mm. I felt really depressed. I was always anxious. I was always guilty about eating food. You know, I'd I'd feel guilty about eating a salad sandwich because it had the bread part. Like that's not normal. And I had this absolute preoccupation with eating food, And my body shape and my weight and standing in front of the mirror every morning, every night to see if there was a slight difference and fasting, counting calories, avoiding food groups, you know, I, you look at this and you go, wow, like the damage is just so deep seated and it all stems from, and it never was like that until I started like you receiving these little repetitive comments from people who were supposed to be caring for me, the people that are supposed to have your best interests at heart. And like I did want to talk about the language used within the walls of many elite and non-elite ballet schools because it really troubles Mm -hmm. and it triggers me. Like it's very hard to explain to people that aren't in the ballet world and just to clarify for our audience, I'm talking about words like, Muscular and bulkier and too developed and facility. I don't know what happens in Canada, but for those that don't know, it's common practice for people within our profession to use the word um, facility. Is that the same over there?
1: No, we don't use facility, uh, but we definitely use bulky, um, thick. Yep. Um, But, you know, like definitely bulky. Bulky was the one word. It's funny you've said it because bulky was the one word I would hear daily. Ah, You're too bulky. Your thighs are bulky. You need to do training that will lengthen you. You need to be longer. It was the one thing that kept on being my trigger I was too bulky
0: those those words lengthening and longer and so for example over here the word facility um, for your context is used as in um, you know your facility is in your body so like your facility needs to lengthen or your facility needs to um, you know be less muscular and so I guess it's really difficult because I'm also in two minds about this because yes our body as a dancer is our tool and I guess facility looks at it in a more like clinical way um because I guess it is our facility but in my experience it can be used in an incredibly harsh context it's almost like objectifying you as an artist exactly and like those words for example your facility has changed slightly just watch that it doesn't get too developed I mean that I guess in the court of law <laughs> would technically would technically you know if you're looking at it from that perspective you're not being told by the superiors to lose weight but it's that undercurrent do you know what I mean
1: the tone of voice mm-hmm. the context mm-hmm. all of those little details play into the situation and we're smart enough to feel the energy kind of we're smart enough to feel the intention because we look at our bodies every day and we understand that they are important um you know we need to take care of ourselves but it's the, the tone of voice oftentimes and the context if there's an audition coming up or ballet exams i find the frequency would get even more um intense the comment frequency so it was just It's very interesting to notice that as well. So
0: what was the period of time between you starting to hear these comments, starting to act accordingly and develop some incredibly unhealthy habits and then be
1: hospitalized? What kind of period was that over? So the first time I heard comments, I was about 12 to 13. Um, A few months later, I maybe even a year later, I started engaging in behaviors to change my body. Um, so like the, the behaviors that we mentioned before in the list. Um, and then I did notice changes. I lost a lot of weight quite, quite quickly. Um, and I got positive reinforcement from this. And then maybe three months um, later I was diagnosed with anorexia because the way that I got into the hospital was extremely unusual it was non-voluntary I was admitted into the hospital kind of by accident because I went to a regular checkup and they were like extremely shocked with my health um, so they they immediately took tests and they they decided to proceed with like a an anorexia diagnosis and I was indeed diagnosed. Um, but it was about three months of, of intense suffering and pushing my body um, at my lowest weight ever that I that I struggled. And that finally, I was, I call it, I was saved, you know, by the hospital because I really didn't want to dance anymore. It got to that point. Yeah. Um, so let's say maybe a year or two, maximum a year and a half, I would say, of just on and off, weight loss, behaviours, and losing my passion for dance along the way. Yeah, I I saw a photo
0: of you in your tutu as a little pre-professional student. And Mm -hmm. what scares me the most and what just really saddens me, and I think I said this to you, was that I looked at this photo and I saw myself and I hadn't really thought about you know everything that had gone on at that age in you know my own story and when you contacted me and I saw that photo of you I thought what people don't understand is that you you looked from the outside to be just a beautiful you know typically skinny young ballerina but mm-hmm. for some people to look like that like yourself or like me with a more athletic build that requires so much abstinence from food <laughs> that <laughs> it's really hard to try and get people to understand what that took
1: do you know what i mean i do know because we both experienced a lot of suffering in silence mm. because maybe some of our peers had naturally extremely thin bodies and for us it took a lot of restriction and maybe for other people it didn't so it's like you kind of question yourself at that point, and you're like, "Well, why, why do I have to go through all of this to look like her? Why is my body built this way?" And then you kind of begin to create a unhealthy relationship with your body at that point. Does it make you? So, um, I, does
0: it make you a bit sad or a bit disappointed when you see dancers in companies now, and you look a bit more objectively, and you go, "Oh, there are. I mean, there's definitely not." Bigger bodies but there's you know women in dance companies look very different to to young girls in pre-professional ballet companies like they're a bit more womanly and a bit more shapely and they're still tiny but there's room for them to be them do you know what I mean and so do you I don't know about you but it makes me really sad looking at that because I think I wish I had the smarts to look at those bodies and and think I could be like that too one day I just got to get through this awful period I don't know do you know what I mean
1: like <laughs> yes yes you know actually one of my idols was Sarah Merz from New York oh, City isn't Ballet. She beautiful um, she's powerful she I kind of look like her as well so I, she was my idol <laughs> and I remember watching her dance every night I would go on YouTube and admire her muscular legs and her power, her energy. And I would say, you know what, maybe maybe one day I'll be like her. But I felt like I still couldn't eat. I felt like the voices in my head were stronger. And that's what was difficult. But yes, I do find it a little bit sad. But I'm so relieved that there are inspirational women, strong, empowered women that are accepting their bodies. And like you said, they're still tiny, they're still super athletic. and But, you know, they have a little bit more boobs, they have strong legs, and they are glowing. So I think they're really good people to have in the industry right now. Definitely.
0: And, you know, social media, I guess, when we look at it in a more positive light, can actually help, I think, young dancers, because they can see people like Sarah people like Misty, Mm -hmm. people that are really pioneering that individuality, individuality within a typically conforming art form. And so, yeah, I think it it would be really nice to be a young dancer growing up today, being able to see that, (laughs) don't you think?
1: Absolutely. And I feel like it's always going to be the dancer's choice to see it or True. not. Um because yes, I mean maybe some people will see their beauty, but there are there is still a lot of stigma present and there is still a lot of judgment um in the industry. And maybe that some schools are more diverse and they love to promote uh body acceptance and different types of bodies but I know that some schools unfortunately like are, are not at that point yet so maybe the mind the young minds are not being developed in the way that we would wish but there is still access to that on social media as you said so at least they do have the opportunity to go and, and look up dancers and to try to learn and find inspiration through them but at the end of the day it is a choice that they have to make sure. to see the beauty. Sure. I think,
0: I think in an ideal world, in my ideal ballet world anyway, <laughs> pre-professional companies, mm-hmm. you know, accept the students as they are at that elite level and then if they don't fit the mould of the particular company that's attached to the school, they help foster the students' love of dance and help foster a safe pathway them to go into a different company that does suit their body shape or does suit their build Um, Mm -hmm. because it's just such a a disappointing thing when they're they go in and they're chewed up and spat out which is what I feel like my own story and I feel like yours is really similar is that we've gone in and we got chewed up and spat out in the process and there was no care or concern and in the well-being, and so in one aspect, I do find that that some, like for example, there's a state um, ballet company with this, with a school attached called Queensland Ballet um, in Australia here, which I have a lot to do with. And every time I'm talking to their staff, I do find that they are leading the way in regards to looking after the well-being of their students. And when I go and watch their open days, there are young women in there that have varying bodies and they've got breasts and they've got you know muscles and they just look happy you know when you can just tell when you go into you know mm-hmm. and some of them are shorter and some of them are taller and i mean you know granted they're still they're still little but they are they are built athletically or some of them are not built athletically they just look happy and able to be the body that suits them do you know what I mean and then yeah it's made me really happy and it's and it's why I push a lot of my students in this particular company's direction because supporting them means the world to me because they are doing such amazing work um but I feel like that is still so few and far between
1: oh for sure it's still rare but when you find those companies, you keep them in your heart and you try to learn everything you can. And yes, please continue to push your dancers um, for institutions and companies that are promoting a more balanced lifestyle. Because when you said that you would go on open days and see them happy, like that's huge. That is really big because as an artist, you have to be mentally fit. You have to be mentally strong and you have to enjoy what you do because it's not the easiest career. It's definitely not um, something that you know will bring the most money as well. Like it's you do it because you love it so much. And to be a dancer is a beautiful gift. And the fact that they seem happier, at least, or I'm sure they really are inside. That's everything. That's the whole purpose. Definitely. So it's it's so interesting. When you were hospitalized, Katie,
0: did you go in reluctantly? Were you angry or were you relieved?
1: I was relieved deep down. I was very, very relieved. But on the outside, I remember kind of keeping a straight face and being numb, not feeling any emotions. But feeling this kind of warmth inside was extremely comforting because I finally felt like someone was going to take care of yeah. me I finally felt like I wasn't alone and that I was understood yeah. so it was a beautiful experience the first weeks in the hospital were a reality check for sure and I was not able to walk because my body was too weak and it's funny because I was training 10 hours a day like the day before I got in the yeah. hospital but <laughs> When I got there, they said, no, 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 no. What are you doing? Um, You're in so much danger. Like, don't. So I just slowed down. I stopped. And I really was able to reflect and to heal. And it it was beautiful. And my hospital experience was a turning point in my recovery journey. And I'm so grateful for it. So grateful. I finished watching this morning your um, recovery
0: time lapse on YouTube, and yeah, it it sort of brought a tear to my eye because as I was watching your face, you know, break down in some of the moments, and I knew exactly how you felt, <laughs> and how important mm-hmm. was the process of documenting, and I guess celebrating. Um, Your recovery
1: process. It was for me, I was owning my situation and taking my power back. When I was dealing with the anorexia, I felt like I had no voice because number one, I was scared of the stigma that was surrounded by having an eating disorder. And number two, I just felt like nobody would understand me. So I just decided that I would stay quiet and not bother anybody. So taking back my power and showing people the progress that I've made was incredible, incredibly healing. And at the same time, I was able to help so many people, dancers and people that aren't dancers people that dealt with eating disorders in general felt connected to what I had to say and to me that is worth everything that comes before anything so doing that time lapse was like i was just owning what happened and i was accepting it it was a full acceptance of my situation and i do i do celebrate my recovery process and i talk about it a lot on my instagram and i believe that the more positive we are about it and the more um, empowered we become, the, fastest, the faster you will heal. Because when you do have the negative mindset and you're very pessimistic, like you will stay stuck. So it's finding positivity, finding growth through what happened. Because I believe that things happen for a reason and you'll only become stronger from those experiences. Definitely. Do you
0: think you're still recovering or do you feel recovered?
1: That's a question that I'm always kind of debating on because I don't engage in, I don't engage in behaviors. I don't weigh myself. I, my, my relationship with exercise is extremely normal. I go to the gym four to five times a week. Like there's no more, there's no more restriction. So I feel very balanced and happy. But at the same time, there's a lot of people, professionals that say that when you're in recovery, like it's a lifetime thing, you're always going to be committed to recovery. Um, And some people say, well, you can be fully recovered. So I think that I'm definitely happy and balanced. And I don't consider myself as having any issues with food or exercise anymore. So whatever that term is. That's what I am. Yeah. It's, it's not unlike yeah. a
0: recovering alcoholic, really. It's a lifetime, probably, keep it, a lifetime of keeping yourself in check. I mean, I know with myself, mm. I can yes. get very obsessed without realizing it still to this day about mm-hmm. what I'm putting in my body. Um, mm-hmm. And then I have to go, Georgia, take a chill pill. Like, <laughs> it's all good. Like, you can have that Sunday, and the world isn't going to end um but it's really funny isn't it i mean if we do compare it to something like alcoholism that's taken much more seriously by society whereas an eating disorder is is almost greeted
1: with oh just eat a burger like you'll be right does that frustrate you yes, and it does but at the same time there well what i always say to my friends or to people that don't really understand how severe an eating disorder can be is Okay, well, take an alcoholic, for instance. The alcoholic person will just basically stop using that drug. But as a person with an eating disorder, I have to eat every single day. (laughs) So I'm currently... I'm constantly facing my fear, right? You're constantly put in front of food that you have to eat to survive. And it's food that you have to eat three to four times a day to be healthy. It's like you're always around food. but And I'm not saying that it's easier to avoid a substance, but I'm just saying that it's different and it's like as severe because you're not avoiding it. You're facing it three to four to five times a day. And it's difficult because then comes the question of, okay, you're facing the fear of eating, but what will you feed your body with? How much will you feed it with? Uh, When, what time will you eat? So it's like all these little complications that come with the act of eating that are um, kind of obsessive, even if you are eating. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like it's just a very long process to finding balance. Um, it can take years, months, but at the end of the day, it is as severe as someone with um, drug addiction issues. I believe.
0: Look, we've sort of um, we've sort of touched on what we would like to see pre-professional um, and just ballet schools in general do in regards to the caring of students. But what do you wish was said to you when you were growing up? as opposed to what was said.
1: Mm -hmm. I wish I was told that diversity is beautiful and that diversity is enough, you know, because I was one of the dancers that looked a little bit different. Um, Like we mentioned, uh, the muscles were there, the thunder thighs were there. So um, it was, it was really hard to feel like I was alone. And I, I wish I was encouraged to be myself a little bit more and to not try to look like her. You know, I wish they would just say, look, as long as you're healthy, as long as you're able to do all the movements and the choreographies. And, you know, if you can do a full Swan Lake ballet and you feel great, you're not getting injured, then you're good. (laughs) You know, I think, I think I would have liked a little bit more acceptance and, um Promote like promoting diversity in my situation. Anyway,
0: you also wanted to share with younger ballerinas the mistakes that you made whilst training in professional capacity. What What do you want to share with the listeners, Katie? For any young girls that might be
1: listening, mm-hmm. well, I would say number one that if you are struggling with food or you feel stressed when you're about to eat or when you see your friends in your class eating, if you just feel like food is something that's stressing you out a little bit more than it should, I encourage you strongly to go and talk about it to maybe if there's a nutritionist at your school, or maybe you can talk to it with your parents or your doctor when you go to your next checkup. But there's, there's a conversation that you must have if you feel stressed around food, especially just because you're a ballerina, so you're constantly uh, moving and doing a lot of exercise. So it's important that your body is adequately nourished. And it is a very slippery slope that goes down really fast. So as soon as you kind of start noticing, you know, a difference in your relationship with food, I suggest that you talk about it. It will only help you become stronger and the best answer that you can be. Definitely. That's a good tip. do you have any for just in
0: general I have a lot of adult ballerinas that listen to this podcast as well and um and have you got any sort of tips you just want to throw out there for everyone because I feel like whether you're a child or whether you're you know a young woman or whether you're um an older woman you know our bodies are just so focused on in our society and and you know, looking for some more body love and acceptance, what kind of tips do you have in your daily life that could possibly answer the question I'm about to ask you about, you know, how do you lead a more balanced life?
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that if you do everything in your power to have, to be, to be friends with your body, it's as simple as that. Just try to be friends with your body. If you have a friend, you will be nice to them. You will give them food, you will make sure they're rested, and when they're injured, you'll take care of them, right? So try to have an experiment with that and to view your body as your friend and not as something that needs to be punished. Um, Sometimes exercising can be a form of self-sabotage or punishment because of maybe you ate second serving of of your your dinner or something but you wouldn't do that to your friend like you wouldn't punish your friend for eating because you know that it's an essential part of life and if you can view your body as something that deserves love that will change your entire life so just that statement itself involves so many little aspects and wherever you're at in your journey you know only you know but definitely avoid punishing your body or seeing it as something that needs to be changed when in reality you're blessed with the body that you have and your body is so beautiful in all the ways that are unique to you so yes just try to try to be friends with your body it's as simple as that I really like that but <laughs> maybe not maybe not simple but it's it's a process for sure but just try to start. Try be friends with your body. I really like that.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. So important. You have, um, Katie, you have this really beautiful message that you are worth so much more than simply what you look like. And that restriction is a form of self-harm and look, judging from the comments that you receive and that I've read through over the last 24 hours, a lot of people, they find your content extremely inspiring and uplifting and most of all really healing so from one young woman to another I just wanted to say thank you so much for just being so brave because I really don't think I am as comfortable talking about my own relationship with food when I was a young dancer and so for documenting for sharing thank you so much
1: Thank you for for letting me know that it helps you as well. And it's, you know, sometimes I feel like it is a little bit hard to talk about, but I always remember why I do it. And to be completely honest, I just do it because I want to be there for people that were in a spot that I experienced before. I just want to be there for them. I want to maybe help them see how beautiful they are. Because sometimes you see beauty in others, but it's a little bit harder to see it in yourself. And I totally get that, And especially when it comes to food and body and exercise. So I'm so grateful that you you appreciate the content. And yes, I, I did create a little bit of a family with the community, the recovery community. And hearing that people are finally embracing their stories and sharing their experiences just motivates me to keep going and to see where this goes well keep up
0: the awesome work and katie where can people find you on socials
1: yeah so i post a lot of content on instagram my username is ed recovery girl and girl is spelt with a u so g-u-r-l and I will have a blog coming out in December with weekly blog posts, and that will just be www. That's
0: exciting! Congratulations! <laughs> welcome to the Thank welcome so to much. the blogging world.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. It's going to be amazing. Awesome.
0: I love how Katie speaks so eloquently about such a difficult topic, and. Again, thank you so much, Katie, for giving up your time and for sharing your story with the Balance Ballerinas community. Now, speaking of healthy bodies and healthy minds, everyone, I've actually just released the dates and details for the Balance Ballerinas Tween and Teen 2020 Summer Retreat. My retreats really are like no other dance workshop or masterclass you've attended. Healthy bodies and happy minds are at the forefront of my goal and my mission And the 2020 tween and teen summer retreat is for any budding young dancer with a passion for ballet and taking care of your mindset and body. Can you think of a better way to start the new year? Didn't think so. Each day begins with an open ballet class and repertoire guided by myself. And then after some morning tea, the students will learn some practical Pilates, safe stretching and body conditioning tools from the amazing Sarah Kylie, who is also a friend of the pod. You can go have a listen to her episode. Then after some lunch, the group will explore mindset and goal setting strategies to ensure they feel really confident heading into the new year. I'll be guiding this part of the day. And then the day finishes with a Jazz and Audition Technique Masterclass for a bit of fun with the amazing Bodie Fullerton, who will ensure students are prepared for any auditions or challenges that they face throughout the year. Oh, and did I mention that every participant is gifted a Balance Ballerina's Top and our brand new insulated eco-friendly drink bottle? Yeah, you'll want to be part of this one. I'm so sorry if you don't live in Australia or if you don't live in Queensland or if you're not near the Gold Coast. Hopefully one day these retreats will be around the world. But for now, we're on the Gold Coast and I hope to see some of you there. Head to shop to book.